Welcome to Leafing Out Episode 6, a podcast about gardening. I'm Gabe. I'm Rebecca. <laughs> and we're not experts. We're amateur podcasters and amateur gardeners sharing what we learn as we learn it on our gardening journey. And today we're talking about... We're talking about first signs of spring and... and composting. Composting, Gabe's favorite subject. If you want to have a lot of fun at a cocktail party, just get cornered by Gabe and let him talk to you for 30 minutes about composting, whether you like it or not. That's right. <laughs> um, all right, Rebecca. Well, I feel like you have a really great love of spring. I mean, who doesn't love spring? But I feel like you have given me a new appreciation of it. And you you um, talk a lot about the way the light changes in February and how that's sort of the first little inklings of spring for you. So I'm curious, what are some of your favorite things about spring? What are the things that you're noticing right now? It's true. I really love springtime. I think it's because um, my birthday is in late April. And when I was a little kid, I used to always know when the daffodils were blooming. This was in New Jersey. When the daffodils were blooming, I would think, now it's almost my birthday. It was like a romantic notion that I had as a kid or something. It's They're here, they're signaling that it's almost my birthday. But it is fun to have a birthday around like cherry blossom season and when things are starting to really get showy and in full on spring. But today, we're not quite there yet, at least not here in New England. Right now, as we record this, we're just a few days before the first actual day of spring, the spring equinox, which is March 20th. I was just researching the the equinox, and I'm so bad at science that I always forget this kind of stuff, and every time I Google it, I'm like, ooh, all over again. But for those who don't know, equinox what does equinox translate to, Gabe? Equal night. Um, equal like night. Equa is equal and nox is night in, uh, I'm going to go with Latin, maybe Greek. I'm not sure. I think that would probably be Latin. On the spring equinox, there are equal amounts of daylight and sunlight. Daylight and nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, it's the day that the northern hemisphere actually starts tilting toward the sun. So on March 20th, if you're where we are in the US, the sun is going to rise due east and actually set due west, which it doesn't do year round. Um, I, thought, I just cool. thought that was kind of cool. I cool. don't know. Kind yeah. of, it feels kind of witchy or something. Oh, totally. You know? Totally. But yeah, it's just a nice time of year. I, I really love um, seeing the first snowdrops come up out yeah. back. And I didn't realize that the snowdrops have a really nice scent. Mm. You really have to, I only noticed this because one, as I was like trying to brush the leaf litter off around them, I broke off one of them and picked it up. And I, it has like a really lovely floral, clean smell, but you would have to, if you don't want to break off a flower, you'd have to really get on your hands and kneesies and yeah. like get, yeah, get your yeah, nose yeah. in there. Cause right. it's not very potent, but it is really, um, lovely smelling. What are your other first signs of spring that you love? I mean, the witch hazel is the thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, our witch hazel has been blooming since, what, mid-February? Mm -hmm. And that is just such a gift. Like, everyone should have a witch hazel. They There are a bunch of witch... I should say there are a bunch of witch hazels that bloom at different times. I think the straight the, the species blooms, blooms in late fall, in right? In late fall, yeah. Um, but the one we have is Hamamelis Intermedia Arnold Promise. 
But the witch hazel is just such a gift because it's like the only thing blooming in February, and right. it, it it must kind of bloom as soon as as soon as there starts getting to be enough light. I'm going on a total tangent here, but we were recently doing some work at a local farm, and they do all their farming in greenhouses, and they were talking about how their plants kind of you know wake up and start really the growing season for them really starts around February 15th. Is that what they said? Yeah. 15th, because that's the point at which there starts to be, the days start to be long enough that the plants are like, all right, time to, time to get started, mm-hmm. which was cool to hear just because like we think about it, those of us who are not farmers, you know, think about spring coming when the weather gets really warm and we associate the warmth with the plants waking up. But so much of it is actually about the amount of daylight in the day. I thought that was just so comforting to hear that and think about the like micro seasons within seasons and how even kind of what we think of as the middle of winter in terms mm-hmm. of the freezing weather is um, a time when the light is changing so much that plants are able to start growing in a totally different way. I just thought that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I've heard farmers refer to, the period when there's fewer than 10 hours of light per day is the Persephone period, because that's when, even in a greenhouse, regardless of the temperature, growth really stops. So you can keep a plant alive, but it's not going to grow. It'll just sort of survive at whatever size it's at. And then, yeah, coming out of February 15th and beyond, it starts to regrow. So I love the, like, romanticness of of that. It's, like, um, supports my, my feeling that gardening and and farming and agriculture is like a very um nostalgic mm. work mm-hmm. full of nostalgia for me anyway what else am i noticing right now with our plants and stuff i mean the snowdrops are coming up and they're beautiful and just like so cheerful and friendly to see i also was looking up at some of the trees and noticing that the shapes of the very tips of the trees is a little bit different because they are starting to starting to produce buds a tiny mm-hmm. bit and it's mm-hmm. cool to see they're like gnarled spiky little tiny bits that you wouldn't notice unless you were really looking for them but it's happening i also was noticing that our magnolia has fuzzy buds and i just learned something that i thought was so cool the fuzz of course has a purpose and the fuzz is actually protecting the flower inside like mm. insulation it's like a tiny mm. fur coat yeah of course that makes so it's, much sense it's cool it's keeping the buds that. from freezing yeah so when the magnolia actually blooms we can like appreciate the fuzzy capsules yeah. again and the other thing i was going to mention is just that we were away last weekend visiting gabe's parents um who live like 40 minutes south of us and it's only 40 minutes it's like a quick drive down there but because they're so close to the ocean they're always a couple weeks kind of ahead of us in the spring Mm -hmm. and it was so nice to see that the forsythia is already blooming down Mm -hmm. there it's just um it's right around the corner even though it still feels like winter so the other thing I, i wanted to mention in terms of like right where we are right now in in early early spring late winter is just about um, not cleaning up leaf litter, mm-hmm. which maybe you can speak to. Mm-hmm. But we've become big believers in not cleaning up your leaf litter right away. There's like this big move to 
things start getting a little bit warmer and it's like, oh, we got to go out and clean up the garden to get ready for the season. And we got to cut down all of the brush and dead plant matter. And inevitably some leaves have gotten blown around. I got to clean up all those dead leaves and make everything nice and tidy. Don't do that. If you're doing that, don't do that. It's really good to wait until the temperature is consistently above like 50 degrees, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I and just I'll... said you should talk about it and I talked about <laughs> it. No, that's great. I'll, I'll put a little asterisk on there. It's interesting. One of our uh, favorite podcasts, Plant Rama, just mentioned this in their episode. Um, and I'm just going to kind of repeat what they're, what they're saying in terms of, I, th- I think there is, um, you know, it can be hard to go all or nothing as mm-hmm. far as cleanup. And we have a... a bunch of our backyard that is lawn and if you leave big you know piles of leaves on the lawn the the clover and and other sort of grasses will die underneath it they'll they'll come back in the spring you know but you're not doing them a a great service by leaving whole leaves on the lawn so i would say as much as possible yeah save your leaves uh rake them into your garden beds they're great mulch as they break down and yeah particularly with cutting things back, even whatever dead stalks you have still sticking up, just leave those. Like, leave those until you see, you know, the new growth coming. They're, they're sort of, I guess, in my mind, overwinter those uh, stalks or something for the snow to land on. And in the spring, I feel like they give real structure to your garden. I guess it's a matter of aesthetics, but I feel like there's really no downside to leaving those um, because there are so many insects that bees and, and other insects that overwinter in those dead stalks. And then like you're saying, it's only when it's above 50 consistently that they start uh, moving around and, and you can clean Making that up. Way out. Yeah. Yeah. We think about um, pollinators as honeybees often and honeybees are wonderful. Honeybees are not native to North America though. Um, they're wonderful and they're supportive of our environment but the native pollinators to North America um, usually make their homes in um, in the ground over winter and in like dead plant material, like hollow stalks. If you have like an elderberry shrub or lots of shrubs have this, you can look at the shrub in winter while the material is dead. And you, if you break a stalk, it's ho- it's like a straw. And um, insects are using that space to overwinter. Plus, it's just nicer to do the cleanup when it's nicer out. But I yeah. also relate to wanting to get started. You want to get started. Well, I'll give a, a getting started uh, joy for today, which is that I just planted tomato seeds in the basement. Not um, in the backyard, though. Not in the backyard. No, no, no. But I planted peas a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, things are growing. Things That's are- the other, like hint of spring thing is is i like imagining all of the like activity happening in people's basements and people's <laughs> weird little closet corners with the grow lights starting mm-hmm. their little tiny seeds and everybody's doing their little project yeah getting it ready yeah there's a sweetness to that the other okay one more cool this time of year thing is that it's not just our outdoor plant friends that are enjoying more light, our house plants are changing. Mm-hmm. Their life cycle is adjusting mm-hmm. too, based on um, the amount of daylight during the day, which I never knew until like 
yeah. last spring or something. Yeah, totally. But um, if you have some house plants, now is a good time to fertilize them. Mm-hmm. Start. You can start fertilizing them now that we have more hours in the day of sunlight because mm-hmm. they've been um, overwintering themselves, even though they're in a temperate, climate-controlled environment. Um, they kind of go dormant because of that day, 10 hours of daylight thing that mm-hmm. he was talking about. So now is the time when you can start fussing with them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a nice time of year to remember to change the soil and fertilize. If you want to cut them back a little bit, if you want to reshape them, they're going to have new growth soon. So it's good to, you won't, you know, that. Yeah, you don't really want to want to trim back your houseplants too much in the middle of winter because it's not a good time for them to grow. Mm-hmm. So now is a fine time to do that. The other thing that um, these farmers were talking about, they have like a whole greenhouse full of houseplants that they're cultivating and stuff. And um, they were saying that their advice to people about their houseplants is you have to really fertilize your houseplants because you have to think of the dirt that your houseplants are start out in as like one meal for your houseplant. A big worth, bowl of food. Like a big bowl of food because that dirt that it's in contains all of these, you know, minerals and all this nutrition for the houseplant. That's, that plant is going to consume all of that nutrition and it's going to need more. You can't just expect it to live with like one big bowl of spaghetti and meatballs forever. So the fertilizer that you're do, doing is renewing that. And you also want to like change out the dirt sometimes and mm-hmm. repot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not a bad idea, you know, just to look at the roots of your plant. Like um, that's something that with houseplants plants you know, it is this sort of pretty artificial environment. So you get a sense of, oh, is it really root bound? Does it, you know, does it need a larger pot? Are there, you know, if you've got an orchid and it's not doing well, you might see that the, you know, maybe the roots are brown, you're overwatering, you're rotting the roots. You you can get some information um, by taking a look at those roots. Okay. I think now is a good time to hear from our sponsors. (laughs) Just kidding. We don't have any sponsors. We don't have that many listeners yet. The compost pile. (laughs) (laughs) The native pollinators in our backyard. Yeah. Gabe, do you want to talk about compost? I would love nothing more than We only have like (laughs) (laughs) 10 minutes for you to talk about compost, Gabe. Not all day and night. Right. Well, I thought... I would start just by giving an overview. I feel like composting is something that people are very passionate about. And there are really like camps of like, oh, you compost this way, the greens and the browns, you do it that way, this way, that way. And then you also have the camps of you can't compost in a city. You're going to get rats. There's no way to do it. And then I I feel like a lot of people we talk to are like either composting and having it picked up. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, I really would love to get into composting, but uh, it just seems yeah. overwhelming. What do you, what, maybe you could give us some advice for like, what would you do if you were starting, right. interested in starting out composting? Right. So I would say to like the beginner composter, never composted anything before. And this is a good season to be to be thinking about it if you want to you know, take that on as a um, new project for your garden this year. All composting is, is just any sort of organic material breaking down. And that is a natural process that you honestly don't need to help along. I mean, you think about, you know, the, the bottom drawer of your fridge when you leave the lettuce in there too long. Like, it, it's a very sort of artificial, clean environment, and that lettuce is going to break down no matter what you do. And so that's the process that's going to take place with any organic material that you have outside. And everything that people who compost talk about as far as, yeah, ratios of green to browns or doing this, doing that. That's all about 
gaining some advantage for that process, whether it's speeding up that process, that's what the ratios of green to browns is, is, is getting that process to move faster. What do you mean you when know, you say greens to browns? Sure. Okay. So greens and browns, you hear a lot talked about in compost. Basically greens are things that are high in nitrogen. So uh, your kitchen food scraps or uh, freshly cut grass, which would literally be green, like living Green plant material. Leaves. Yeah, living plant material that still has like, it's going to have water in it. It's going to have nitrogen in it. And then browns are sort of dead things. So uh, dried grass, dry brown leaves, newspaper, uh, shredded cardboard, those sorts of things. What about like when I finally do trim back my dead um, perennial border mm-hmm. that has like, you know, dried decorative grasses and mm-hmm. hydrangea blooms and stuff like that. Yeah. What is that? So all of that would be, those would all be browns and those can all be composted. I guess we're getting off track here a little bit. My point was just that you can compost just by taking, I mean, again, like it's all about sort of how pretty you want it to be, how fast you want it to go. Obviously you want to avoid, um, you know, rats and other pests, but basically you can take any organic matter, any, any, sort of thing that's not like plastic or rock or metal and put it outside and it will create compost. So, you know, maybe if you're a beginning composter, you're, you know, maybe you don't have an ideal setup. Try just taking a bunch of your leaves that, you know, are around your yard and either just put them in a pile and, you know, sort of in the corner where they won't blow around too much. You can, if you have some sort of bin, you can use really any kind of bin, um, Chicken wire is really good if you just go and get some chicken wire and make a little uh, cylinder out of that. And you can put a bunch of leaves in there if you want to add in just some, you know, simple vegetable scraps, your whatever, the cut ends of your celery and broccoli and, you know, lettuces, kind of put some of that very basic stuff in there. That will break down over time and it'll create like a good compost. So are you saying like you have all your leaves in in this say you're using a chicken wire, Mm -hmm. like bent into a cylinder Mm -hmm. shape. If you throw in some kitchen scraps, some like carrot peel or Mm -hmm. rotting Mm -hmm. celery from the bottom of the fridge, that is that going to speed up how fast all of that stuff breaks down? It will. Yeah. I always feel like you should combine it just because it like seems like a good idea, but I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot of different um, ratios that are thrown around about that balance between greens and browns. But in general, you want way more browns than greens. You know, I've heard like 10 to 1. Some people are like, oh, 30 to 1. Some people are 3 to 1, whatever. Um, But you want, uh, by volume, a lot more of that brown material than the sort of wet, fresh material uh, for a couple of different reasons. One is just smell. I mean, if you imagine like taking a bunch of sort of banana peels and squeezed out lime halves and whatever, and you put that in a pile, it's going to, it's going to smell like rotting food, right? If you have that mixed in with a whole bunch of shredded leaves, then it's not going to smell or it'll smell a little, maybe you'll get sort of on a hot day, like an earthy smell, but you won't get that sort of like putrid rotting smell. I guess, yeah, I would say that there's sort of any number of of roads to go down. But as with so many things in gardening, I think that so much of it comes, it, it's sort of your own recipe that you need to develop a little bit as far as like, what kind of organic waste are you actually producing? What are you comfortable with? 
what might attract pests, um, what kind of pests do you have in your area? So all of that leads to, in my mind, the best way to get started is start with something like leaves and a few sort of light kitchen scraps and you'll get a feel for it. You can, you know, there's tons of resources online as you sort of get into it. You know, the metaphor I always come back to is cooking. You know, somebody says like, oh, sear the steak on both sides. And if you're, if you've never cooked before, you know, maybe you look up a video of that or whatever, you're going to come across some different problems that are kind of unique to your situation. But you basically want to have that organic matter somewhere where it's going to be getting some air you don't want it in like a totally closed container because then um, if, if it doesn't have enough oxygen, it, it will get kind of um, gross gross, and, uh, and, and a little yeah, putrid. Um, and you want it to get some... Is that because of like good bacteria versus bad bacteria? Um, yeah. I mean, it has to do with basically um, aerobic versus anaerobic environments. If it's um, aerobic, meaning that there's oxygen in it, the types of bacteria you get, the waste products from those bacteria are less stinky or something. There's sort of, it works better to create compost. Different bacteria lives in an oxidized, oxidized? I I don't know what I'm talking about with in an aerobic environment. Yeah, anaerobic means without Uh oxygen. uh And that's where you get that sort of, you know, bottom of the uh the vegetable drawer like sludge right 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 it's breaking down but you get these nasty smells you get sort of a lot of liquid that's building up so if you have a container and you and you have things that are breaking down and sort of smushing down on themselves um then there's not going to be any air at least in a portion of that pile and then it's creating that anaerobic environment so this might be why people talk about turning your compost exactly yeah um, I am learning things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, turning your compost is another thing that can be useful. I think it's, I, I hesitate to sort of say like, yeah, turn your compost just because it's another thing that sort of intimidates people of like, oh, if I don't turn my compost, it's going to turn into like this sewage heap. And it's like, no, no, no. You do need some air in there. That's why the chicken wire can be good. But the turning is is often, as long as you are not, you know, in some sort of extreme scenario with what you're putting in there, as long as you have plenty of uh, leaves or whatever it might be that's sort of light and fluffy and brown, you're, you don't really need to turn your compost. That will increase the amount of oxygen in there. It'll speed up the process, but it's not a requirement. It's sort of this additional thing that you can do to make it move faster. So do we have compost in the basement that we're going to use in our garden? Yes. So we have a very complicated... Uh, some would say overly difficult system of composting. Rube Goldberg system. We really do. Um, but maybe I, I'll describe it and maybe in its... Uh, describe it in like two sentences. Excessive corners. There might be there might be something useful. So what we do is we take um, basically all our food scraps, including, um, you know, small amounts of meat, uh, oil, all that stuff. That's another thing. This is a slight tangent, but people are always like, oh, you can't compost meat. It's like, no, of course you can compost meat. What do you think happens to meat? You know, it breaks down. The The risk with meat, oil, food leftovers from a plate um, is, is pests. That that is, you know, has a lot of calories in it. Um, it. It smells like something that has a lot of calories in it. And as a result, it's very attractive to rats and raccoons and that sort of stuff. If you take a piece of lettuce and you throw it out in your backyard, that's not 
particularly more appealing than just a leaf off of a tree, right? There's not. Well, um, here, but if you're in the country and you have like rabbits and deer and stuff like that, it might be a little bit different depending on like what volume you're talking about and what your circumstances are, right? So this is kind of what your point is about like, you got to kind of figure out what works for you. This is where it comes yeah. come in with like the barrels that are closed that you can like turn and stuff, but are like bear protective and all of that. Yeah, it definitely depends on your circumstance. But in general, you what you're what you're looking at is 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 the thing that you're throwing out there really different than what's already available. So even you know deer or something, are they really going to come looking for that one you know the end piece of the lettuce that you cut off? You know, I think probably not especially if it's mixed in with some leaves and some other things. Anyway, so we take all of our, we put all of our food scraps in a little container on the counter. Um, Those go into a Bokashi system in the basement, which is an intentionally anaerobic environment. It's inside a sealed bucket and you pour um, like a little bit of this brand that's inoculated with a specific set of bacteria that begins the process of breaking stuff down and then after a few weeks, there's kind of this mush in there. Um, and then that goes out to uh, bins outside where uh, it finishes the, the composting process. I mix the, the indoor material, the, the food scraps with leaves, grass, you know, whatever um, sort of garden stuff that we have available that'll add some air into it and, and kind of um, create something of a balance between greens and browns, even though I'm very unscientific about that. Um, And it does, we do get compost quite fast as a result of that quite in-depth system. You love a project. I do love a project. I'll tell you this. The best thing about compost to me is that when we started composting, I was absolutely shocked at how much our levels of garbage that our household was producing Mm -hmm. went down. Mm -hmm. I could not believe how much of our garbage production was just food scraps and Mm -hmm. like even just composting the green matter is a huge change huge 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 change for us we take out the trash i don't know let we need to take it out less than we used to Mm -hmm. by kind of a lot and between recycling and composting the amount of garbage going out of this house is pretty low which feels really good and getting back to that question of um the aerobic and anaerobic, that is actually a pretty significant thing about composting. Not only are you not taking up space in a landfill and, and taking out extra trash and all of that, but when you have food scraps that go into a landfill, they are packed into that landfill and in a, in an oxygen-free anaerobic environment, as they break down, they create methane, which is, of course, an incredibly powerful greenhouse gas, much more powerful, I think 10 times, four times more powerful than carbon dioxide. If those same food scraps break down aerobically, so breaking down in a compost pile that's, you know, has some oxygen in it, they um, create a very small amount of carbon dioxide, but no methane at all. So yeah, composting is good, but I, I feel like there can be an intimidation. I guess my, maybe I'm leaning too hard into this, but I think there can be an intimidation factor of like, oh, composting, that's such an intense thing. You know, it's like, can I compost? Am I good enough at gardening to compost? Seems like a science experiment. Yeah. I, again, like just take some leaves, throw it in a cylinder of chicken wire. The other thing that you do need is you need a little bit of water. So, um... If it's, you have to have a little bit of a balance between the amount of air and the amount of water. Don't just put those like 
under the edge of your roof where they get no water at all. If, if the um, the water just like helps things rot faster, basically. Right? Yeah, the the water. You just want your compost heap to get rained on. You want it to get some rain. Yeah, that's all. You don't have to like water your. You compost don't need to heap. water it. You know, as you get into this, then yes, you sort of like manage how much water is in there, this and that. But at the outset, yeah, put it out where it gets some rain. You're good to go. We love composting. Write to us with your composting questions. Yeah. And Gabe will answer them on the air. I will answer every single one. If you need to be talked into composting, if you're intimidated about composting, Mm -hmm. we would love to talk about it. We love this stuff. I think that is going to conclude our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Leaping Out. If you have a question about composting or anything else you want answered on the podcast, you can email us or even better, send us a voice memo at leafingoutpod at gmail.com. Or you could DM us on Instagram. We're at leafingoutpod over there too. And you know, it would be so great if you're still listening at this point, could you just go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us? That really would help us and it would help other people who are interested in gardening find our podcast. Happy gardening. See you out there. See you out there.